What's up, my confidence queens? Are you ready to feel confident as fuck? I'm your host, the confidence queen herself, Alicia Lechuga, and I am your confidence bestie. I went from trying to shrink my body in order to find happiness and approval to finally letting go of dieting, others' opinions, and inspiring hundreds of women along the way. This podcast is all about confidence, living unapologetically as yourself daily, and ultimate self-love. This is Confident as Fuck. Welcome up and wait, welcome up. What's up and welcome back to Confident as Fuck. Wow. Okay. I feel like this is like just how my day has been going. I had all these different days set in the week for what I was going to do each day and trying to go on this new schedule. And today was like my reset day. So I usually don't record podcasts today. And I almost completely forgot about this podcast recording because it's my reset day. But we are here. We are recording. We made it to the recording. We are here with Jessica. And I'm so excited to have her. Jessica and I actually met online. We were just talking about how we've been following each other for a really long time. And I actually met her through an old client of mine who I did virtual training for quite a number of years ago, maybe three or four years ago. And so I've seen Jessica on Instagram for a long time, watched her, followed her. And she is a licensed master of social work. She spent most of her life working in mental health. And then for the last few years, she's worked as a therapist for refugee youth. And then most recently in January of 2023, she was laid off from her job and she got rid of everything she owned and she bought a one-way ticket to Greece and spent four months traveling. So we're going to get into all of that, all the different things. I cannot wait to talk to you because I've been watching, like I said, I've been watching your Instagram and I'm like, you go to all these really, really cool places. So I can't wait for everyone to hear about that. So everyone welcome Jessica to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Um, so give us in your own words, who are you? What do you do? Who is Jessica? Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm Jessica. I am a social worker. I'm originally from North Carolina and I moved to Michigan about, I guess it's like going on five years now and got my master's degree in social work. And that's where I started my journey in learning about immigration and the policies in the U.S., which um, I work with refugees, so I'm constantly learning about other countries and their situations that they're going through and experiencing in a lot of different capacities. And yeah, so I've just been a therapist um, for, I guess it's been three years now. Um, and my job is a contracted position. So um, the layoff was a contract ending kind of thing. Uh, yeah, so I, like you said, got rid of everything I owned and bought the ticket and left. Why did you choose Greece as your first place to go when you bought the ticket? Yeah, so traveling has like kind of always been something I wanted to do from a small child. And even like moving states felt like impossible, you know, like my family was very like discouraging of it. And Greece was not like my first time traveling abroad. I had gone to Puerto Rico, Mexico, Guatemala. Guatemala was my first solo trip and I chose to go there because I know some Spanish. So this trip was going to be, I knew that I wanted to go to countries that were much different where I didn't know the language. And so I wanted to like kind of ease my way into that to know, to like, cause I'm so far away. So to kind of tie that into with that, there's also a refugee camp in Greece that I wanted to volunteer with. Um, I read a book, which was about an Afghan's journey from Afghanistan to Greece. Well, yeah, to Greece and then to Germany. Uh, and at the same time, there was like a documentary about these swimmers from Syria who left Syria to go to Greece. Um, and it just felt like the universe telling me like, you got to go and you need to start there to just like, just bring it full circle for like what it is that I've been doing for so long. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have so many questions about Greece, but I'm going to pause them for just a second and we'll do our little weekly fave and confidence corner. So do you have something that you're loving this week? Something that I'm loving this week. So it was my brother's birthday this past weekend and we got this red velvet chocolate chip like pound cake mm. it is divine <laughs> so I'm obsessed with it 
uh, and I started back to work this week. So that's been really oh, exciting. exciting. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Did you get another contract job? Yeah, it's actually back with the same company that I was working with. I just kind of got a promotion within the organization. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Was that your fave or was that your confidence part? That was like my favorite thing. Things that I'm loving. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Yay. We love a working, a working woman. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Do you have something you did this week that made you feel confident? Um, Something that made me feel confident. um, I think just like trying to navigate finding a place to live. Like I came back to the country. I, I had some of the things that I decided to keep. I had moved to my brother's house in North Carolina. So trying to like, I was home for like four days and then I left and had to go back to Michigan to find a place to live. And it's just hard. It's in a new city that I haven't lived before. So I think just trying to navigate finding a new place to live in a new city when you haven't been home that long and you also can't stay in Michigan for three weeks, like I'm traveling back and forth. And so this week, I think we finally got it all situated. So I have a place to live and we're good to go. So yeah. yeah. Traveling, traveling is one thing. And then trying to find a place to live in somewhere that you either, even if you know it, like trying to find somewhere, if you're not currently residing in that city and like trying to find somewhere to say like, I'm going to live here for multiple months on end. I'm going to put my stuff here. This is where I'm going to like call my home, it can definitely be like really nerve wracking. Like when we moved from Texas to California, we only saw the apartment. We didn't even see the actual like apartment. We just went to our friend's apartment who also lived there in that complex. And it was like so much more expensive than I ever had paid for an apartment in my life. And yeah, it's like, I didn't know anything about California. I didn't know anything about like the city that we're moving to. I had no idea. Like it's nerve wracking. And you're like, okay, like, did I choose the right area? Like, did I, you know, suss it out enough? Like you just have to kind of like trust your instinct and trust your gut. So I love that that's your confidence piece for this week, because it does take a lot of confidence to move. And especially like you were saying to move out of state, let alone move out of the country for multiple months. And then also to move back, like moving is just a whole thing we're about to move to. So I totally am on that wavelength too. Yeah. It's so stressful. (laughs) It is. It is. It's a very stressful thing is like taking all your things, like I said, and like being like, okay, this is my new home. Yeah. And like you said, just like not being familiar with the area, just trusting that that's a good place that the neighbors are going to get along. Like there's so many things that kind of go into it to, to find that I literally was there for like five minutes, met the, met the girl that I'm going to live with. And I was like, I'm just going to trust that you're a good person and that we'll, we'll vibe, but yeah. Yeah. You got to trust it. And like, I always told myself like nothing is forever. There's been, you know, multiple apartments that I've lived in that I haven't loved and that have been like quote unquote bad experiences, but nothing is forever, especially not a lease. So you can always change your mind. You can always move. You can always adjust. You can, I've even gotten out of leases before, like, without having to pay, like, you know, so there's always a way out. There's always a way to adjust. So I love that. Um, Okay. The first thing that popped into my head when you were talking about Greece is when you went to Greece, how long did you stay in Greece before traveling to other places? Um, I stayed there for a month. A whole month. A whole month. Yeah. I love that. And then where did you go after that? Um, I went to Turkey. And I stayed in Turkey for a month and then I went to Jordan and I stayed in Jordan for only four or five days, which I regret immensely. And, uh, then I went to Pakistan and stayed there for a month. And what was your favorite out of all four? Jordan. Oh, the one you spent the least time in, huh? Yeah. I mean, I think outside of that, I really loved Greece. I met some really incredible people and it was just such a good time. And it was just an overall great experience. So Jordan at the top of my list for sure. I'm planning to go back very soon and spend hopefully a little bit longer time there, but definitely the most amazing place I've ever been. And you're traveling all by yourself, correct? All by myself. 
that's a huge thing to do as well. Like, especially as a woman and like solo travel has this new like reemergence where I feel like a lot of people are doing it, but I think solo travel, it can be really intimidating. It's even intimidating. Like for me, I feel like, because you're just kind of like, I mean, I'm halfway across the world. No one knows exactly where I am really, but like I'm completely by myself. So how do you really like navigate that and find the confidence to continue to do it over and over? You know, it is like very nerve wracking and it is a little intimidating, especially going to countries where you don't know the language. And honestly, I thought that Greece would be like an easy place to transition to, but a lot of people don't speak English there. So, you know, I made that decision to like be easy on myself, but it was actually also kind of challenging. But I think just like I had some experience solo traveling in the U.S., with my job. And I just like always tell myself, like, you can literally do anything. And just because, because our brains will tell us like, oh, you can't do that or bad things will happen, but bad things can happen at home. And I'm just like, why am I going to let myself prevent me from doing something that I've dreamed of doing? Um, so I really just told myself constantly, like, you can do this. Like you are a capable person you're smart, you are very observant. And if something bad happens, you take it in and you make a plan for what to do next. Yeah. It's funny because our brains will tell us that we cannot do something, even if it's something here at home, even if it's not like solo traveling across the world, it's so easy for us to talk ourselves out of doing those big things. And so I feel like that's a really great way to look at it too, is like, I can just, I can. I'm just deciding that I can do this. So how do you get around the, um, the language barrier when you're in a country? Do you, they speak Greek, right? In Greece, they speak Greek. Yeah. I will say that I did meet a lot of, so because there's this refugee camp there where I was at, there are tons of people from all over the world. And so I did not meet any Americans in Greece, but so the people there, they did speak some English, but it's not, they're not like 100% fluent in that. But I think I just had experience, like, I don't know, just like being patient to like, kind of work through those, those moments where you are not understanding each other. Like, I don't understand you and you don't understand me. And so there's a lot of hand motions. I tried to use Google Translate some, but Google Translate isn't always good. and um, it's just like being able to laugh at yourself because you're going to look dumb. You're going to sound dumb and <laughs> no one's going to know. So that's just kind of how I, I dealt with it. Like, obviously there are moments when it's frustrating, especially when something has happened or you're trying to get somewhere. But at the end of the day, like you're on your own. You only have yourself to really like rely on. Like you can't really call up someone else to say, translate for me because the time zone difference is so insane. So it's really just like having confidence in yourself that you can navigate any situation, like whether it's the language barrier or public transportation or food, ordering food, which was honestly the biggest challenge. Sometimes I had no idea what I was going to get. So I just <laughs> roll with it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I feel like, you know, traveling, with my husband to Mexico so much over the last year, like there was a lot of times where, you know, most of the time he's right next to me so he can translate for me if I don't understand what's going on. And I actually do like speak, I would say a decent amount of Spanish. Um, but still, you know, like sometimes we're in different dialects or like slang or like they're speaking so fast that I don't understand. Right. So I'm not picking up every single word. Um, and I, I think my friend and I were talking about this as well. Actually, my waxer, Chelsea, who's been on the podcast too, we were talking about how when you interact with people who are um, speaking a different language than you, and it's someone that you care about, or it's someone that you're like really trying to understand, there's something about it that's like so different where like, yeah, you're using like hand motions and you're also like, it makes you so much more aware of people's like mannerisms, their facial um, adjustments and stuff like that, because you have to use all of those senses to get 
like what's coming across because you're not going to fully understand every single word. And the same goes for the other person, right? Like you're also using more like hands and more facial features and more like exaggerated motions, but there's something about it. That's like, when you do that so often, because I do that with my in-laws and a lot of Renee's family. And also when we're traveling that, like, it also makes me take that back to when I'm speaking, you know, right now to you as I'm like, also trying to pick up more on like people's energy and like their uh, facial features and their like, you know, their mannerisms and stuff like that to get a more well-rounded picture of what they're actually saying versus just the words. So I feel like it's such a good experience to have is to be like fully immersed in another language where you don't have somebody right next to you, like you were saying that can just, hey, translate for me. And like you said, Google Translate, I feel like can really like honestly, it could almost get you in like a lot of trouble because I feel like it can like totally translate things incorrectly sometimes. So yeah, I feel like it, I feel like it's such a good experience that everyone should do. Absolutely. It just requires you to be a little bit patient. And I really love the, what you said about like, just taking in all of your senses and to really understand where that person is. There's this one time in Turkey, I needed like a washcloth and I was trying to talk to the the housekeeping staff and I like the words that we use for like a washcloth is very different she did not know what that was google translate didn't translate it so I was like trying to do hand motions and then I was trying to search for the word in Turkish I literally know no Turkish at all I learned one word the whole uh, maybe two the whole time I was there <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like so funny and thankfully like I know that it was probably frustrating for her um because it was like a 30 minute like ordeal of like <laughs> trying to understand what I was asking about um but yeah I think at the end of the day like that just makes you like like that girl that that woman that was helping me she's gonna like I'll remember her the next time, you know, that I saw her in the hotel or whatever, because we had this like connection, like while we don't understand each other, we had to like work through this, this issue together to like meet a need, you know? Um, So I think it might be frustrating, but I think there's like magic in those moments, you know? For sure. And it also like going along with the patients, it also gives you like, for me, it gave me a much better understanding of how other people must feel coming here to the U S and like me going to Mexico and being like, Whoa, what the fuck? I don't know. Like I thought I knew Spanish and then I'm like, you know, speaking so fast, tons of different people, people are trying to get you to do things quickly. And you're like, I'm sorry, I'm on the last sentence, still trying to dissect (laughs) it before I move on to the next sentence, you know, like (laughs) trying to come up with the words and it makes you really like see things from the opposite perspective gives you a lot more patience with people in the U.S. when maybe their English might be even like, I'm so amazed when people come and they learn English and their English is like even 50%. I'm like, that is amazing because I mean, learning another language is so hard. Like they say that you, I think my sixth grade teacher told me this because one of my best friends was Hispanic growing growing up too. And so she spoke English and Spanish. And so our sixth grade teacher was telling us that like, when you learn two languages simultaneously, like she did, like my husband did, like most of his family, you think in English and you think it's Spanish. You don't think um, like I am thinking, right? Where I'm dissecting what you're saying in Spanish, and then I'm going to translate it in my brain. And now I'm going to translate it to English. And then I'm going to think about it. You just flip. And so like for someone to be able to do that, I feel like even at like a later stage in life, when you're not like a child, I feel like it's much easier, but I feel like that's just amazing. When I think about it like that, I'm like, holy shit. I thought that everyone was like translating to English (laughs) in their brain, you know, but it's like, it makes so much sense when he explained it like that, because yeah, my, my husband even sometimes will like try to translate for me. We're actually watching this show in Spanish right now. And sometimes I'll be like, I don't understand what that word was because the translation isn't always correct on the subtitles. And he's like, I don't know either because I don't know how to translate it to you. And so like, you're not thinking like, you know, as a translator in your head, you're thinking 
English, Spanish, or whatever other language you're speaking. So I feel like, I don't even know why I brought that up, but that's an interesting fact. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's like listening to someone who speaks, like I, I've studied Spanish since kindergarten and I'm still not fluent. I understand a lot, but like you said, I'm like listening to the sentence, I'm translating it in my brain. And then I'm like thinking, then I have to think about what I want to say. And then I have to translate that. And so it just is like such a long process and requires so much like attention and focus. I think sometimes it's really exhausting. So, you know, for me, listening to Spanish, listening to my clients, I know that it's equally exhausting for other people who are trying to learn English. And sometimes I think English makes no sense whatsoever. So I'm also like amazed that people are like, can just do it. They just know it. They, especially kids that have learned, like grown up learning both languages at the same time. I think it's so fascinating. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating. The thing that always like gets me about different languages is like the different, um, like the different way that sentences are constructed. That's where I'm really like stopped in my journey of learning Spanish is like, like putting the sentence together is the hardest part, I think, because, you know, we're used to English where, you know, it's a certain, um, uh, whatever you want to, I forget how you say it, but like, um, a certain order of how are you saying like the verb, the action or the verb, the subject, whatever. I don't know <laughs> I don't all those know. terms. You know what I mean? But in Spanish, <laughs> yeah. it's like almost opposite. Yeah. And so, yeah, even that I'm like, how, like uh, when I watch people speak English and Spanish or any other language, I'm like, it's crazy that you can like switch back and forth to like changing all also the sentences. But I think it's, especially when you grow up uh, learning two languages at once, I think it's like pretty automatic. So yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It is. Um, well, I want to know also like what drew you to social work in the first place or becoming a therapist? Like what, what was the thing that was like, okay, this is what I'm going to decide to do. Was there a big thing or was it just like kind of over time? So, hmm. Like my childhood was like not so great. And so I think that has like played a little bit of a role in it. Like um, in middle school, we had to do like a little autobiography picture book. And I remember putting then that I was going to be a social worker because, and I'm going to do like child protective services so that I can help other kids. When it came time to go to college for undergrad, I was actually pre, pre-medicine. and. I was going to be like geneticist or a pharmacist, something. So I wanted to make a lot of money, you know, um, especially from my background where we did not always have a lot of things. Uh, and it was just kind of very, lots of turmoil sometimes. And um, so I did like, I went to community college for a couple of years. And then when I transferred to a four-year university, I was pre-med. And then I did like a year and a half of that. And I was miserable. I, and a a part of that was like, I have always been like, things have sometimes come easy, especially related to school. Like, I don't know that I retain a lot of things, but I was able to pass tests. I didn't have to study a lot. And in pre-med, it was a lot of math and it was really hard. And I just remember crying like every single day. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I would talk to my parents and they're like, I was like, I think we're going to switch schools. I'm going to switch my major to this. And they're like, why would you do that? You're going to be broke and you're going to be depressed. And I'm like, I'm literally broke and depressed right now trying to pass (laughs) this calculus class. Okay. So I don't care. Like, we'll make it work. We'll figure out what to do. And so I got my bachelor's in social work. And then out of undergrad, my first job was at a psych facility for youth. And I worked there for like three years. And like I said, I didn't ever really expect to work in mental health. It is just the path that kind of opened up for me. Um, I had a lot of mentors at this organization that really like sought me out it felt like to like like bring me under their wings I was able to do certain trainings and I was able to like be promoted within that organization and then I 
was in a relationship that was horrible. It was not good. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Not good. <laughs> and I was like, I have to get out of here. Like, I can't stay here. I've put this off for long enough. And I knew I had tried to leave the state, leave North Carolina before. And my family was like, you can't do that. <laughs> like, what if you get a flat tire or what if you like hurt yourself? Like there's going to be no one there to take care of you. And like, I let them talk me out of like going to an opportunity in Texas when I graduated from undergrad. And so then I was like, I'm going. And so it felt like an easier transition or I guess not an easier, but it was like, you can't tell me no, because I'm going to move to Michigan to go to school. And so I guess that did make it easier because they still tried to talk me out of that because I was going to live outside of Detroit. They're like, my brother would send me like, oh he would send me like news articles of like murders in Detroit. And I was like, families are so crazy. Like <laughs> seriously. And my dad's like, you can get the same degree in North Carolina. And I was like, I'm going <laughs> like, I don't know what else to tell you. And I think that's like a part of, I think why I have such confidence in like doing these things is I've kind of always been a little oppositional about things. Like, so I think that has like helped build that, like, cause it's a muscle, like you have to practice mm -hmm. it and, you know, to do these things, especially if you have been told these negative things about yourself or, you know, there's lots of reasons why people don't have high self-esteem, high confidence, whatever. And so then I left to go to Michigan and I went to grad school and I didn't even really study mental health that much. I actually focused more on policy uh, and like organizing. So how to make policy change, protest, um, lots of advocacy type things. Um, and I think because my background is in mental health and there's such a high demand for mental health professionals that it just felt like the route to go. And so finding the job that I did was like, I don't know, a miracle because it like tied in like my interest in immigration and policy and also just with my experience in mental health. And so it just felt like a really great fit. Um, so obviously I love it because I'm coming back to what I was doing, but yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's like, it's funny that like we were talking about, you know, like telling yourself you can and then other people like telling you like you can't and their reasons are like, you're going to get a flat tire, like, you know, yeah. like, uh, <laughs> it's not really a reason not to do anything, you know, like that's still going to happen here. And yeah, I think, you know, my, I can relate so much. My family did not want me to move to California either. And they tried to talk me out of it and multitude of different ways. Um, and so, yeah, I can totally relate to being like oppositional and being like, no, I'm going to fucking do this. I don't, I'm just going to do it. Like I'm going to make my mistake. And I can, my grandma was the one who, the only person who told me like, you can always come back. Like if you don't like it or, you know, you and Renee break up because we we're still early in our relationship. She was like, you can always come back. Like, it's not a big deal. And I think sometimes it's like scary for other people because they maybe haven't done anything like that, or maybe they have, and they had a bad experience or also like, I mean, people are just always like, they're always projecting just as we are always projecting too. We're all human, but you know, maybe, you know, they're, they are like just scared that something's going to happen. You know, we're, I think something I always have to remember too, is like, we're always children in our parents' eyes, no matter how old we are, you know, we're okay. 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. We're still our parents' children. So like, they're always trying to like somewhat protect us, even if it's in ways of like, don't do what you want because I'm scared that something may happen or that you may fail. So, um, I love that you just pushed and went and did it. And that was like your first experience moving out of the state. And, um, then, so you went to get your master's and then you went, that's how you got into being with refugee youth, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. So I did my, you have to do an internship. You have to do like 
so many hours to graduate. And I did my internship at an Arab American organization. So majority Arab, majority Muslim, and we did lots of organizing in Detroit. And we did some national work um, going to Washington, D.C., doing some lobbying for policies around things that were impacting Arabs and Muslims in their community. So like they were from all over the country. So that's where I first learned about all of like how our policies impact people here, people that were born here, you know, and I'm like, it just, these are my friends, you know? And so I think it hits a little different when it's like people, you know, like you can put a face to the issue and I think in America, sometimes it's hard for people to care about things because they don't know anyone. And so it just became something that I was really passionate about to like, no one in my community talks about it. No one in my community, I think, knows about it. Like I'm from the South, a very conservative area, which is fine. Like I love my roots, but it's a majority white area. So like, I think it's hard for people to formulate their own ideas separate from what they've always been taught, especially if there's no one there to kind of challenge those thoughts. So that's where I first learned about it. And then my first job post grad school was not good. Uh, Another situation of me crying like every day, not happy. And I would just spend just hours like applying for jobs. And then this one just came up and I don't know, a big universe, a big believer in like the universe telling you like, this is what you're meant to do. This is what's supposed to be. And it came to me. So yeah, that's how I got into it. And can you give us like a definition of refugee, just so that everyone knows like refugee youth, what exactly that looks like it, because it's, I'm well, I'm gonna let you explain it so that you can educate all of us. Okay. Refugee, a person who has been forced to leave their country in order to escape war, persecution, or natural disaster. Okay, perfect. So those are people that when you're talking about working with refugee youth, that they would already be here in the U.S. because of escaping their own home country, correct? Yes. So when when people are coming to the U.S., they are coming through ports of entry and they are turning themselves into Border Patrol and they do an assessment for like credible fear. And so the Border Patrol is like assessing why they're coming to the U.S., like, do they have a reason to be here? Reasons why they're leaving their country. Um, It could be race, religion, political views. Um, And so then there's like a process of applying for asylum. And then the policy now, I need to like refresh. It's been a little bit since I've been in the mix of things. And sometimes they're changing kind of rapidly about what's happening, especially at the border. But yeah. So they're coming to seek safety. A lot of people are coming here for like new opportunities. Like they live in poverty. They want like maybe people, I don't know, America has this uh, bootstrap mentality and maybe have never experienced poverty and what that's like and how hard it is to get out of it, Uh, especially when like it's just a cycle for a lot of people, especially if you're not taught, you know, how to get out of it. But um yeah I think I went a little side tangent no no totally (laughs) I totally understand yeah so when you start working with refugee youth are they coming with their parents sometimes are they sometimes coming on their own and what is considered youth is that someone under 18 or can they be older than 18 um older than 18 is considered an adult so I do not work with 18 year olds a lot of People are coming, like their family came here when they were babies and they needed a way to provide for them or there's like a metal condition um, that they didn't have access to resources there. So a lot of times a parent is already here um, or grandparents are here. Um, They generally travel with family, I think. Um, And maybe the family grandparents, siblings, aunts or uncles. Uh, Sometimes the family comes across the border with them. Sometimes they might travel with them, especially if they're younger, and then they might let them cross the border on their own. Um, 
because they have a known person in the U.S. that's going to care for them, like their dad or whoever, grandparents, aunts, uncles um, that are going to care for them. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and sometimes kids do travel by themselves. I think teenagers tend to do more of that, um, but there are also pretty young kids that come too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we just see like, you know, obviously you see so much on the news of like kids coming by themselves. And then even like, um, like I said, we're watching this TV show where this little kid is traveling by himself, but because of impoverished conditions where he is right, where he's already providing for his family on his own when he's very young. Um, you know, my father-in-law did the same thing, you know, so I know that kids obviously like when you grow up in impoverished conditions, a lot of times you're going to grow up a lot faster than if you're not. So, um, what is your favorite part of working with refugee youth? My favorite part is like the resilience. They have to share their story, um, with me. And I feel really lucky that they have some sort of trust with me that they, feel safe and comfortable enough to share that with me because sometimes it's very traumatic and I am sure that I only know like a small percentage of their story but when you hear their stories it's just incredible like to see them kind of navigate that journey the life that they were living before and like having to navigate an entire new country with an, a language they don't understand, with a system that they don't understand and people that are so new to them. And I think it's just incredible, like the capacity that humans have to kind of go through those like situations. Yeah. I love that answer. I love that because it is, it's very like resilient is such a great word for that. You know, we're talking, it's funny because we're talking about like traveling as a grown adult with money to other countries and that being like difficult and scary. And then, you know, we're switching to talking about children traveling. So like you said, sometimes by themselves, sometimes with family members, and then having to also like share their story of why they're wanting to leave the place that they, you know, call home or the country that they're in. So yeah, it's like funny that we were, I didn't even really think about that until I was thinking about um the resilience that you're talking about, where it really does take a lot of resilience and bravery to be able to escape and then share it. And then also, like you said, be in a new situation, especially yeah. when you're young. Yeah, absolutely. And you have like, there's not a single familiar person that you can, sometimes you don't know who to trust. And when you're in these situations, you're kind of on guard. You know, I was listening to your story uh, on Instagram before I got on here about money and buying the couch, you know? <laughs> Oh my and just like tying that into what you just said about money, like I spent almost three and a half, four months traveling and I worked a very long time to be able to save the money for that trip. And it was hard. And there were moments that were very uncomfortable, but then you just think like, I, I spent all of my money to make this happen and like trusting the universe that it's going to be enough. It's going to provide for me. It's going to send me in the way that I need to go. And like these people from these other countries that are coming to America for new opportunities, they have a lot less money and they're just betting it all on themselves to like get there and start a new life. And sometimes I don't know if they know that it's going to be so hard as once they get here, like they know the journey's hard, but I don't think that sometimes people understand how hard it is to like make it here. And I just think it's incredible. Like for all the moments that I felt like it was so hard and I wasn't going to make it like is nothing in comparison to what other people coming, fleeing their situations to come here have to endure, you know? A hundred percent, right? Like we're talking about things like there's backup options, right? Like there's family members that probably like if, if you ran out of money in a foreign country that you Absolutely. can call. And be like, hey, FYI, like I need you to send me 500 bucks or whatever it is, right? Like <laughs> yeah. my couch, like that's a luxury, right? Like, yes, yeah. I freaking, so for you guys who don't know, I, or if you didn't see my Instagram story, cause this will air way later is um, I did not read 
the fine print today. Uh, it probably wasn't fine print. It was probably very bold, but I tried to pay for my couch online today and I tried to pay for it through shop pay so I could pay in installments. And um, it only financed like part of the couch. So they financed like less than a thousand dollars of the couch. I think it financed like $700. I thought it financed the whole thing. So I was like, oh, amazing. $50 for the month or a hundred dollars a month. Like I can do this. The math did not math in my brain. So I was like, just pushed. Okay. And then ended up that it paid for almost the entire couch out of my account. And, um, I was talking about this and the way that Jessica was talking about it too, is like, I can call and I can cancel the couch. Right. But also I already decided I was going to purchase this couch, whether I paid for it right now in full, or if I pay for it over 12 months or, you know, whatever. Um, so I just have to trust the universe that it's going to provide for me. I'm going to get the money back. And also I always, I, I like love situations like this because what we're talking about too is like having a bigger why to push for something, right? And like betting everything on you coming to the US and saying like, this is where my better life is going to happen. I'm going to leave everything behind or I'm going to bet all my money on this situation. Like when you're in those situations, it forces you to up level. So like with this couch situation, even though it's something like trivial, right? It's a couch, but it's like, okay, well, I could call and I can cancel it or I can get my ass to work and I can put the work in to pay for the couch now versus later or, you know, like moving to a newer place or like doing anything, right? Like starting your business, going out on a limb, like betting on yourself and having the confidence to say like, I know I'm going to stand, I'm going to like put in the work. I'm going to make it because I have to, because I have no other choice is, is a huge, huge motivator that I love to tap into. So yeah, that was my little, um, mistake of the day, which, you know, honestly don't feel like it's a mistake because things like this happen like so often where we like think that we made a mistake or we like mess up something or whatever and can either choose to be upset about it and be angry. And then I even thought about it. I was like, if I call and get this like reversed, it's still going to take three to five business days for this to reverse. So what the fuck? Like, let me call some people that owe us money on our business. Let me see if I can make some calls and push a little bit harder and I can make it back up in probably less time than I would get it reversed. And I still get the couch. So yeah. And then you just have to go through it all over again. Like exactly in a few weeks when you're moving, you know, exactly. It just resonated with me so much because I had this large sum of money, not too crazy, you know, mm-hmm. but I was like, I am going, I'm trusting the universe. Money doesn't last money comes, money goes. And this is a trip of a lifetime. Like, it was just like a now or never kind of thing. So going there, I'm okay with losing all of my money. It feels irresponsible, crazy, but I have confidence in myself that I have financial skills and abilities that I'm going to be able to rebuild that savings to do it again or, you know, my financial resources in some other way, you know, like, because anything could happen. You know, I could be paralyzed tomorrow but I have that trip done and I can make the money back, you know? So yeah, that's what I always think about gambling too. I've been, for some reason, my for you page today is like all gambling videos. I don't know. I've been like, (laughs) I haven't been to Vegas in a while and I love Vegas, but I was just thinking about this and how I have always like seen going to the casino, you know, people get really weird about gambling with money and that like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, we're going to spend this much money. But I always think like I could either hold on to this thousand dollars and I could not go to the casino, right? I could like, if I'm in Vegas, right? I could go and do other things. I'm probably still going to spend the thousand dollars while I'm in Vegas, whether it's going to a show, whether it's doing an experience, whether it's going to the casino, whatever it is, I'm probably going to spend it somehow. So when I always, when I go into the casino, I always think like, 
okay, this is the amount of money that I'm going to take with me. This is what I am going to lose. I always think of that because I'm either going to spend it either like here at the casino doing my thing and having fun. And I love gambling with, with Renee, or I can go and spend it on other things, but like, I'm still, I'm already parted with the money. So like, I think that's where a lot of people get really like people do this with money without gambling, but like you get so attached to like seeing that certain amount in your account or you see that certain amount, you know, dissipating slower and you get so attached. People get so attached to money. And I love what you said, like money comes and goes. And once you're able to like open up that money goes, you can open up the door that money comes to you as well. Because when we're like holding onto it so tightly, it's like it doesn't also doesn't open up our mind to say that money can come to me so easily either. And there's um actually talked about this with Sarah. If you guys listen to her episode, Sarah Rose, she talks a lot about money. So if you're like interested in this money talk and you haven't listened to that episode, that's a really good episode about money and money mentality as well. Yeah, I think my views about it changed. I think in the past, like I grew up in poverty, like, so I wasn't taught financial literacy. And so in the past couple of years, I'm like, I do not want to relive like this life I had. So I started reading books. And so like one of them, I don't remember which, but it was like, to get money, you have to give money. Like wealthy people give money. They spend their money. They take the risk knowing that they're going to get it back tenfold, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a huge, like a huge proponent of that now, but it took me a long time to get there too. Like my parents, parents, we didn't grow up um, like super poor or anything like that, but we were definitely like always budgeting, always couponing. My dad is a huge saver. And so, and I think it's also just their time, you know, like they grew up Um, their parents are from the great depression. So like, I understand, right. I'm not mad about it, but, uh, yeah, like changing that mentality is really tough, but, um, some good books to read on that. If you guys want a book recommendation is, um, rich as fuck by Amanda Francis. And, um, what's the other one? I don't know, but I'll drop some book recommendations for you guys in the show notes. Um, There's a book list in the show notes too for you guys. Any book that we ever mention on the podcast will be down there. So um, should we go into our rapid fire? I'm ready for whatever you're ready for. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Let's do our little rapid fire. So I always start with what is your favorite food? Uh, Butter chicken pizza. Ooh, yum. It's so good. (laughs) That sounds delicious. That sounds so good. Usually it's like a lot of people say pizza, pasta. So that's a good one. Yeah. Um, what is your coffee order right now? Oh, did you have Turkish coffee? I did have Turkish coffee. And to be honest, not a fan. Really? I think, to be honest, the only thing I loved about Turkey, like, I mean, I love lots of things, but like food wise, uh, this dish called manti. Monty, so good. I probably could have eaten it for every meal. I need to find out how I can make it here. I'm not going to make it. How I can <laughs> buy it here. I am not a cook, but it's so good. Um, I think Greek coffee is a little bit better. Ooh. I mean, they're kind of similar, but I don't know. I just wasn't a fan. <laughs> so what is your coffee order now in the um, U.S. currently? I'm obsessed and have been for a long time. Uh the brown sugar, cinnamon, oat milk, shaken espresso. <laughs> that is so good. Yeah, I love that it. That is so good. I just ordered that like um, over the weekend too. I ordered like every single day. I ordered coffee to the house at my mother-in-law's house because I was, I even ordered them a, an espresso maker and I was too lazy to unpack it. So <laughs> I ordered coffee every single day. Um, but that drink is so good. Um, what is your go-to alcoholic drink you're walking into a bar what are you gonna order uh that's really hard I don't drink a ton um anymore um I do love a New England IPA Mm. and oh otherwise maybe like um 
I love a white wine like um or a rosé like mm. Riesling or yeah did know. you have any fun like cocktails or drinks when you were in your like abroad um I did not have any fun drinks in Greece I had drinks but I had like a mojito and then my friends made drinks from gin and something they were fine but not like spectacular um in Turkey I had a couple of mixed drinks I think to be honest I couldn't remember I couldn't tell you what they were (laughs) they were good it was at like this one nicer place that I went to right outside my hotel um and and so that was like my first week in Turkey because Turkey is a Muslim country and so and it was Ramadan so I felt like don't do it you know so at first like I was on the European side and then the rest of my time there I was on the Asian side of Turkey and so it didn't seem like there were lots of bars and like going out type things so um I didn't drink a lot there and then Pakistan definitely didn't drink there yeah that's true oh I did have some uh went to the mountains of Pakistan and had some homemade wine um It was very interesting. It had kind of like a, it's made in like a metal drum. So I don't know how it's made there, but uh, it had like a little aftertaste of, (laughs) to me, it it tasted kind of like it had been in like a wooden barrel, but my friend that made it said it was in a metal drum. So maybe it's metal or lead. I don't know, (laughs) but (laughs) it wasn't so horrible, but it was interesting. We had this like homemade, I guess it was, I mean, it's technically tequila, I guess. When we were in Mexico, we like, this was the funniest thing is like my mother-in-law at her house, we were sitting there, we were all having dinner and um, one of Renee's cousins was like, hey, bring out the lechuguilla, which is like, um, I guess it's a plant because we looked it up, but I guess slang, it's like a homemade tequila. Anyways, so my mother-in-law walks out with this like huge jug that doesn't have much in it you know maybe like to the bottom like this big of like but like a look like a fabuloso like bottle (laughs) and I'm like what the hell is this like oh we've had this like we've had this aged 23 years but it was delicious but it was definitely in like a stick bottle in the closet for multiple years but it was it was so good so I know what you mean like sometimes you're like wait where the fuck did this like how did this get aged into alcohol but it's still sometimes it can be so good still yeah Um, I do love a good margarita oh me too Mm -hmm. me too we had um we had margaritas this weekend um we had like a family event and we had the bartender and the margaritas were really good um rapid fire hold on let me think what was the next question oh what are you currently reading I am not currently reading anything the last book that I bought that I brought with me to travel to read that I didn't read is called Financial Feminist by Tori Mm. Dunlap and so it's just um it gives you some like financial education and then there are like action steps like prompts for you to like write down kind of where you are in like the information that she's sharing to kind of like the by the end of the book like you are you're not just reading and like not doing anything with the information that you're learning um so I need that is probably what I'll start reading pick back up you know I like that I like books when they have like um a little section at the end of the chapter or something like that you know to like fill in so that you can it's cool too to like look back and be like, oh, okay. Like I remember when I read that I first read this, this is where I was. I like those interactive ones too. Mm-hmm. So I'll link that book down below in the um show notes for you guys as well. And um, are you an Amazon purchaser? I try not to be. Uh I actually canceled my Amazon membership uh I guess like mid-pandemic, but I do make my sister-in-law order things for me on Amazon because she pays for Prime. <laughs> so I try not to do it, but I think. Okay, I then <laughs> usually my question is, what is your best Amazon purchase of this month? 
But um, what is your best purchase of this month? Uh, yeah, I purchased okay, these okay. headphones today um, <laughs> so that I could hear you. <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't bought anything. That's amazing. Yeah, just food. And like I traveled to Michigan, so I had to pay for hotels and gas and stuff like that. But yeah, nothing has come to mind that I bought. That was like, you know what? (laughs) That is really super cool because (laughs) I got another person on the podcast, Jaden, who um, is like, I guess should be considered like a minimalist, but she like didn't have a purchase either. And I just was like, that is amazing because you are doing the Lord's work because I am out here purchasing. I am out here purchasing. So we're, maybe we're like, balancing out, you know, it's fine. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I just, you know, I spent all of my money in other countries. And so traveling mm-hmm. a little, little responsible coming back. Yeah. yeah. I feel you. Yeah. I feel you. I know. Sometimes they're like so spoiled with the, the quick buying that I feel like sometimes I'm like, okay, you need to chill. Um, like you don't even realize that you're doing it. Like you're just like, yes, just like me with the couch. It shows up. And then you're like, holy crap. I just spent $500 on. Yes. That don't even really matter that I could have not bought everything today. You know? Yes, exactly. Yes. That too. Sometimes I get a little too like excited. I watched a lot of like the Amazon home stuff like on Instagram, people who are like reviewing home products. And then I get so excited and I'm like, oh my God, yes, that is something I need. And then something that I do practice is like, okay, I put a lot of stuff in my cart. And a lot of times instead of just like putting it in my cart and then checking out right away so that I just like get it, sometimes I'll put it in my cart for multiple days and then like let a lot of things get into my cart. And then like you said, sometimes my cart is like 500 bucks and I'm like, okay, let's trim this down. Like, what do we actually need? Um, and what is just an impulse purchase? Because it is so easy to impulse purchase now. Like I think back, like back in the day, an impulse purchase was like, you had to actually go to a store and impulse purchase. So like you had to take the action to go to the store. And of course we could impulse purchase there, but now it's way easier. Like there's less thinking about it. Yeah, for sure. Like, because you can just do it on your phone. Like if you're getting in your car, you're walking through the store, like there's more time to process. Should I buy this? Should I not buy this? Right. On your phone. No regrets. Just yeah, it's done. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So what, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? Um, like my dream, my dream job, uh, to travel, and to not work. <laughs> um, I am like flirting with an idea of starting my own business to, to be able to just travel and kind of go where I want to go when I want to go. Um, so not sure what that will look like or when it will happen. Um, but we are making moves for that because Hell yeah. I think once you have like a taste of freedom and like coming back to even though I love what I do like I'm going to be tied to a city tied to the nine to five and so I can't just I have to ask permission to leave Mm -hmm. I can't just buy the plane ticket and go wherever you know so I think once you have a little taste of that it's like okay you gotta do what you gotta do to like keep doing that even if I'm still in America not leaving the country like to be able to like come see my family when I want to see them because they live 10 and a half hours away, you know? So, um, yeah, ideally I would not be working and just travel and meet people and hang out. <laughs> I can't wait to see that come to fruition for you. Cause I know we talked about that like a while ago too on Instagram about you starting your own business. And I think, um, yeah, I agree. Like once you taste like the freedom of not having to ask, permission for things anymore like only asking yourself um it's very different like I I stopped working um for a while and then I went back to working and it was very it was like weird 
for a second. I mean, I didn't do it for that long, probably because of that reason, but <laughs> like when we needed, when we needed an additional income from more than just my business, I was like, okay, let me go back to work for a little bit. And I did. And yeah, it's weird. Like asking for permission or asking for, um, or like having to be somewhere at a certain time that's not set by you and your own standards. It's very, it's very different going back to it. So I can't, like I said, I cannot wait to see that come to fruition for you. Yeah, me either. Uh, my job has like lots of like legal responsibilities and very stressful. Like you have other people's lives like that you are mm-hmm. responsible for and it can become like all consuming and just overwhelming. So while I love what I do, I do not want to revert back to that all-consuming kind of cycle that I was in. So we'll see what the next year holds. Yes. Well, we can't wait to see. I'm going to link everything for Jessica down below for you guys. So you guys can get to know her, follow her on Instagram, see her travels, see her business come to fruition, which we can't wait for. And um, I want to thank you so much for giving me your time, opening up to us and sharing everything with us on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That was a good time. Yeah. Okay. See you guys next week. (laughs) 